Hey everyone, welcome to episode 42 of The Elephant in the Room. I'm your host, Matt Lawson. We're going to jump straight into the daily downloads and then we've got our guest on today, uh, Shalina, who's going to be our regular Sunday guest. Uh, looking at the news today, there's not a lot going on really around Australia. Uh, in Melbourne, there was a knife-wielding bandit on a tram Saturday morning. I don't know. I watched the footage and there were a lot of people sitting on the tram, not moving. The tram driver got told to lock the door. The guy robbed a shop, a 7-Eleven, gone onto the tram. The tram driver was instructed to lock the door. The guy had a knife and everyone on the tram just sat still. No one moved. No one tried to get off the tram. It was a really weird situation. I don't know if anyone's seen the footage. Um, the police went on and tasered him. I don't know if it was a setup to show police using their tasering weapons. I don't know if it was to show that the police are on our side. It, it was a weird situation. I don't think you'd lock a guy, an armed guy on a tram with uh, innocent civilians. That doesn't make a lot of sense. When he'd done a petty petty robbery from a 7-Eleven, uh, you probably just let the guy go and then pick him up when he got off at the next station or whatever. It doesn't make a lot of sense. I don't think it was very good policing in my view anyway. Um, just looking here... This one's a bit weird. Flurry of excitement as massive snow dump rescues New South Wales ski season. It's winter, guys. It's winter. That's generally what happens is that we have snow dumps, snowfalls uh, in winter. I'm going to come back to that, though, soon. Massive cash injection again for housing desperately needed. Uh, we wouldn't need a mass uh, cash injection for housing if they would stop these fucking interest rate rises. I'm sorry about the swearing, but stop the interest rate rises that are happening because of corporate greed. Inflation is because wages are stagnant, corporations are uh, charging too much for all their products, and uh, yeah, we need the government to step in and say stop putting your prices up to these big corporations, but you know the government's making money out of that as well. So I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. Shock update on Meghan Harry's Netflix deal. I'm not going to cover that because I don't want to cover the royals. Um, just having a look, there was another earthquake in New South Wales. Uh, they're talking about Vladimir Putin stockpiling nuclear weapons. Everything's against bad Vladimir Putin, bad Trump, bad China. Uh, yeah, again, I'm not going to give it time. Uh, it doesn't deserve the time. Now, the elephant in the room today truly is uh, winter weather. State warned big bounce of snow to be dumped over next 10 days. Why would they warn the states? Why is it put together as a doom and gloom thing when the ski season is coming? The slow start to the ski season is well and truly passed as two big bouts of snow are set to be dumped over the next 10 days. It's the middle of June, mind you. Weather Zone is predicting a metre of coverage to the country's main resorts after many were slow to start the season and unable to open for the June long weekend due to an absence of strong early winter cold fronts. This could change in the second half of June with a series of cold fronts about to deliver multiple rounds of cold air and snow to Australia's alpine region. Uh, the first upcoming cold front will dump snow across the Alps on Sunday before another trailing front delivers some follow-up snow on Monday. The two systems combined can bring about 20 to 40 centimetres. A dry and cool spell should provide ideal conditions for artificial snow making next week. There's early signs of another flurry of cold fronts. Uh, I'm going to tell you the elephant in the room is that Winter is when snow comes, and summer is when the sun comes out. What the hell? Why is everything made into this, like, catastrophic? Summer is hot. Winter is cold. Doom and gloom. Be fearful. It's scary out there. It's snowing in winter, and it's scary out there because it is hot in summer. 
these are natural things that happen everywhere around the world. You generally have cold winters and you have snow and you generally have hot summers. That's just, uh, I'm just going to put that out there for people. Uh, go and do your research on this. It's been happening for hundreds and hundreds and maybe even thousands and thousands of years. That's my elephant in the room. Anyway, I'm going to um, get off and I'm going to put on our host, uh, sorry, our guest uh, for the interview with Shalina and uh, then I'll jump back on for the mindful moment. Okay, I'll talk to you guys soon. Ciao. So now we've got tonight's guest. Uh, we've got Shalina. So Shalina was on uh, last week as well. Um, her Instagram is sedate, S-E-D, eight underscore. Um, and we're just going to have a bit of a general chat about all things trauma. So how are you, Shalina? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks. That sounded quite dramatic, all things trauma. Maybe not everything, <laughs> but we're just going to have a general chat about, you know, your experiences, your lived experiences. I, I had some really great feedback last week in regards to the um, chat that we had for uh, people that resonated with you. So, you know, that's a really positive thing. Um, and I just thought we'd touch base and go through, you know, what your lived experiences are, what you've been through and some of the coping mechanisms you've used to get through life. Mm, yes, trauma is my favourite topic to talk about. <laughs> yeah. So what do you, so you touched base last time we spoke and sort of mentioned that um, some of your trauma obviously came from um, you not having a dad in your life. Do you want to mm -hmm. just go into it in more depth and let us know sort of how it how it came through to you what 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 it was that you were living through and then go into some of the coping mechanisms and the the um learned mechanisms that you use to get through that mm. um my my father was absent absent rather since the time i was born so yeah i guess the cycle of grief was was there since birth pretty much because my father chose not to be in our, in my life and my mom's life because he got his visa and then, you know, we were not important to him. So I think growing up, it was, it was really confusing yep. because everybody around me had a dad, but it felt like I was the only one who did not. And um, not only did I go through not having a dad, it was at school. It was also a lot of, you know, racism, a lot of bullying and, yeah. I was having an identity crisis because I'm Indian born in Australia and my family, meaning my mom and her, her, her parents who we were living with at the time, they're Indian. So they've got an Indian mentality, but I'm living in a country where <laughs> it's not. So there's, there were so many things going on in my mind growing up that really, it messed with me. And I yeah. didn't realize how much it messed with me until I got older because one was not having a dad and a dad and not having a father can affect you in so many ways. You know, it can affect you spiritually and psychologically, academically and physically, financially, you know, there's so many ways it affects you. And then you go through bullying at school, which made me really, um, I guess it made me really hate myself. Yeah. Um, and you go through racism. So it makes me, it made me hate my cultural identity and then you you go through hardships in your relationships, which made you <laughs> question who you were as a person. Yeah. So I guess the traumas were like one after another, but I didn't even know the word trauma existed at that point. So I, 
trauma was something that I really only came to terms with in the last like three or four years, to be honest. That's Prior interesting because to- I guess yeah. when you're younger, sorry to interrupt, but I guess when you're younger, um, it's just life. It's exactly who you are yeah. and what, what you are and it kind of forms your identity because you don't know any better. And yeah. ch- children can be so cruel. So within the schooling system, and I've seen it myself, they they don't understand that you're coming from a background like that. They, they don't really know who you are. All they see is what you are as a, a physical being at school and the things you say that might be clumsy or whatever else because of what you're going through at home. But they don't really understand. And kids are cruel and they'll find any little crack and and they'll go with it, whether it's um, I've never had the racial thing so much. And, and I have a lot of Indian friends and I have a lot of friends from Sri Lanka and other places that went through the racial stuff. But to have that coupled with, you know, the, the idea of not having a father figure there or, or a father at all and, and trying to understand and cope with all those things at the same time as trying to just grow up. Because I, I thought childhood was hard enough just being a, a Anglo-Australian <laughs> easy kind of thing. <laughs> and then you you hear a story like yours. And I I never really have put myself in the shoes of other people. Did you get to times did you did you cry did you did you hurt like what what were you thinking and what were you feeling as a young um young I guess kid I I used to wonder why people were like this because I'm not racist yeah like I don't I, I I mean I think we all probably make comments in our minds or to people close to us that might be slightly racist or whatever but you you don't mean it in a way to make a person hate themselves yeah. Like you might just say something in passing and then you're like, oh, wait, I shouldn't say that. But but these people, they, I, I, I hated my own self. Like I hated my own identity. I hated being Indian. I didn't even want to be like Indian. I didn't want to admit that I was. And wow. then growing up, I hated my my identity. Growing up, I hated telling people that I was Indian. And, and honestly, it's only really been in the last, once again, couple of years where I've truly embraced being Indian and being proud of it because prior to that, it was embarrassing and I tried to be more Aussie, but obviously wow. I couldn't because my looks are nowhere near Aussie. <laughs> <laughs> well, you sound, you sound, <laughs> you sound like an Aussie. You really have like, yeah. the, you do have the right mannerisms and everything else. So like uh, if, I, if I was just listening to your voice, I would think that. So it's really interesting how, yeah. how people, people see things and make, make their own ideas and thought processes based on looks and cultural identity and everything else. Did you find that um, obviously with the, the I guess, fatherless situation or, or not having your dad entity there, a dad entity, that's probably not the right word. Yeah, not having, yeah, that works. Yeah, not having dad there. Did you, um, did your mum try to f- fulfill that role or how did it work at the home, at home? Um, I grew up, I guess, from when I was very young, um, I wished he was there or I wish I had a father. Yep. Um, because I, in my mind, I felt like if I had a dad, then maybe people wouldn't have bullied me. If I had a dad, then he would have stood up for me or people would have known that I've got a strong male figure around me and not to mess with me was yeah. the thought in my head that I had. Because in my head, I, I'm thinking that a father's supposed to be, you know, maybe what I, maybe I watch too much TV, but in my <laughs> head, I'm thinking that a father's supposed to be like strong and, and protective of the family and protective of the daughters and the sons and you know, not and and protecting them emotionally. And so in my head, I used to, it made me hate my dad more and more and more. So as I grew up, it was like, I hate you for not being there. I hate you for putting me through this. I blamed everything on him. 
I yeah. blamed what other people did, how they were with me. I blamed it on my dad's absence because if he was there, he would have fixed it. He should have fixed it. He could have. Um, yeah. I think my mum believed in her mind, as a lot of single parents do, that, oh, I'm a mum and a dad. But the truth yes. is you're not. And you can yep. never be, you can't be the other gender and you can't be the other parent. So well, uh, the gender thing's a bit, isn't that fluent now? No, not really, but I totally understand what you're saying. Cause I do think that um, uh, families where there's a single parent, they do kind of joke around about being both. They're like, I'm mum and dad, yeah. but, but in real terms, when you're a child and, and you need that male influence for whatever reason. And, and I think what you're saying, I hear from a lot of different people that are in contact with me through my pages and things like that, that um, you can't fill a gap that's, that's there based on uh, how do I say it? Like stereotypes. So like a dad's a dad and a mum's yeah. a mum, and as much as we try to fill those gaps with like these families that have two mums or two dads or different things, you can't really replace what's, uh, I guess, uh, genetically or, or, or I don't know if it's a religious thing or a genes thing or what it is, but a dad's a dad and a mum's a mum. So I, I fully understand where you're coming from when you say, you know, you blamed a lot of things on the fact that your dad wasn't there because in your mind, watching TV and those stereotypical roles, a dad does this and a dad does that. And, you know, you're trying to fill those gaps mentally throughout your childhood as well. Yeah. And, you know, it. it my mom would constantly say that like, oh, I'm being both mom and dad. But the thing is, you're, if you if you say that you're overriding the experience of your child because psychologically speaking and, and it's been proven in so many studies children need both parents both a mom and a dad to evolve um psychologically to grow to develop so when you when you are lacking one or both parents or healthy parents but of a mom and a dad like you you're going to have developmental issues so and I think that's the reason why I feel so strongly about, you know, same-sex parenting, that it should not exist. The reason is not that they're not worthy of being parents, or they're not capable. It's nothing to do with that. It's you can't defy what is natural. And what is yeah. natural is a mom and a dad for a child who needs a mom and a dad because it really stuffs them up. Yeah. And I yeah. see that when you post on your page and and what I see sometimes so this is just I don't think I've told you this before but we'll do it on the podcast in front of everyone um okay when, when I see your stories go up some of them feel like they're a little bit confrontational when I read them but what they really are is you saying what your thoughts are about whatever it is out in the world and I think we have um sort of pushed each other to be politically correct but politically political correctness has gone so far that we can't actually say what we truly think and so, you know, when you speak out and say things like, you know, the 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 human race is brought up by a father and a mother and a child, and that's the system. That's the way things have always worked, and it's the way that that our psychology works, and it's the way that we work, and it's the way that our anatomy works, and everything else. Yeah. It's sort of it's sort of the way the world was set up to be. And when we start changing that. And I want people who are listening because I have, you know, people that are listening that are gay, transgender, whatever else. It's not that people are being um, homophobic or, or being, you know, bigots or anything like that. We're just talking about what we see and what we feel. And, of course, I'm okay with opposing people saying different uh, ide ideas or having different, different um, concepts to what's happening in the world. 
But what I love about your page is you put it out there the way you see it and you're, you've lived it. And that's why I love hearing your experience as well, because you, you've gone through a life that's different to other people. You share your experiences and then you put things out there. And I, I love that you just say how you feel and it's a really good way to do it. <laughs> Thank you. I, I grew up very timid and, and not knowing how to express how I felt and in the last couple of years, I've just grown a pair. I yeah. guess you could say, <laughs> metaphorically, metaphorically. Metaphorically. She didn't actually <laughs> grow a pair. People. I didn't. She doesn't have a pair. No. Well, these days you really have to correct yourself. As soon as yeah. you say something, you're like, wait a minute. <laughs> but yeah. um, I've noticed that once I started to put out how I really felt, I got a lot of um, people commenting saying, thank you for saying what I was feeling. And yeah. then I thought, you know what, maybe I'm being the voice of the voiceless. Maybe I need to continue to do this. And that's why I just continued to go on tangents sometimes. <laughs> but what you saw, what, I, what I've seen, because I've watched your page quietly from the shadows, not a stalker or anything, <laughs> but I've watched your page and I've seen it grow. And I'd never commented. I'd always watched and not commented. But I think that there's people that want to speak out and they're worried because there's such a cancel culture now where people can't say what they feel or what they think. And you've been brave enough to actually step up into that fold and say, this is what I think. And, you know, I kind of did it with COVID, but I didn't do it about everything. And you've sort of really gone, I'm going to broadly speak about what's causing the traumas in the world. Not, not that you're going to solve everything. You're not Mother Teresa. Not that I think Mother Teresa is the best person, but you're not like a saint, but you, you're trying to have the conversations that maybe people find quite difficult. Do you find that by uh, doing what you do and speaking out, does it help you heal as well? Yeah, I heal by speaking out. Um, I wear my my scars on my sleeve. I wear it for people to see not because I want sympathy, it's because I've no. got a lot of empathy for people who are struggling. And it, and I think that if I can just put myself out there and 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 I have no shame, like I'm not ashamed <laughs> of my trauma. I'm not ashamed yeah. of whatever I've been through because I didn't choose it. It happened, but I just, I'm dealing with it and I dealt with it and I help people. So that's why I have no shame because I've got an answer for why I did what I did. I've got that much self-awareness. So if I can help people to get to that level of self-awareness, that's like, you know, 10, 20% of your trauma being healed is just knowing the the root cause of of, of your trauma. Yeah. So I think that's why, that's why I do it. And then I feel better after when people message me and they're like, oh, I really needed to hear this. Or thank you for saying this. It just, you know, it's not, it's not even about like ego or anything like that. No. It's just, just feel grateful that you were able to touch somebody's heart and their mind, even if it was for five minutes. Yeah. I think that's a great thing. And, and I wanted to touch base. So, so you went through, you know, your childhood and you went into being like a teenager, probably an angry, disgruntled, wanting to hurt everyone. Yes. No, not really. Yes. But you went into being, <laughs> yeah, I'm just paraphrasing. So you went into being a teenager and you had these unhealed traumas. What yes. did you find? What was your turning point? Because you said three or four years ago, you worked out, you know, that, that you had trauma in your life. I was the same. I didn't realize I had trauma. I was just like, I'm just me. I do my thing. I play my basketball. I go to work, blah, blah, blah. And I've got all this stuff at the back of my head that I've just pushed to the back and I don't need to worry about it. And then it all came up one day and I nearly like jumped off a cliff. But how did you find that you got to the point where you said, look, I've got some trauma that I need to heal. What, what, what was your epiphany what happened where, where were you did you was there a sudden moment or did it come gradually 
um it was just before covid got really really bad so that would be yep. was it 2020 i think it was 2020, 2020. yeah yeah um i decided i wanted to go to therapy for my daddy issues and <laughs> yeah <laughs> i had tried previously and um it wasn't successful and that was the reason why i didn't want to go again because i why, and, why and, wasn't it successful do you know why it didn't succeed because it i didn't succeed because I did not realize the correlation. I did not realize intergenerational trauma and how it played okay. a big part in my life. And I also, and, and I was going to therapists who were not the same nationality as me. So sometimes nationality plays a very big part when you go to therapy, especially for my community, the South Asian community. If they go to somebody who's not South Asian, they don't understand our culture. My culture is very like complex. I um, wouldn't. I wouldn't understand it, and I've I've got so many <laughs> Indian friends, and I go around and have Indian dinner all the time. But I wouldn't have any idea about <laughs> what it would. <laughs> you cannot understand it. You could. Um, no, you, you can get to a stage where you understand it, but um, and and I went to a few who, they were non-Indian and they didn't get it. And then the yeah. last person I went to. She was non-Indian as well, because at that time I didn't realize I needed to go to an Indian person. And then I was telling her about my dad and how, you know, he wasn't there. Therefore, my conclusion is that he does not love me because you love somebody, you're supposed to be there for them. And then my, then the lady I was seeing says to me, oh, you're making it up. You're making this story up in your head. As in wow. the whole thing that I'm saying about my dad was made up in my head. And yeah, I'm like, okay. I, I left feeling so confused, deflated, angry crying upset I went home and I was telling my mom I was, and my mom's like are you like that's not true like you're not making it up this is how you feel and because I was feeling so invalidated I was like you know what I'm gonna take this matter into my own hands you know f these therapists yeah <laughs> help me and so out of anger it started with anger then I started yep. watching videos and I saw this video of this woman and and this spoke volumes to me she said that when you're mad when you're angry you know, anger is a good thing. And if you're angry, just, just be angry. Like, like anger is not a bad thing. You just, if, if you're angry, stay mad. Like what's the worst that's going to happen? You don't have to react to your anger. You don't have to react to how you feel. You can turn your anger into purpose. You can turn your anger into power. And then I was like, wow, like my anger that I have towards my father abandoning me, I can do something with it. What do yeah. I do? And then from there, it was like, okay, now I felt empowered after realizing that I don't have to forgive. Forgiveness doesn't do anything for me personally. Yeah, It doesn't mean I'm going to hold a grudge in my heart forever, but you know, you can heal without closure because I never got closure from my father. You can heal without getting an apology from him. You can also heal without forgiving a person because yeah. if it does nothing for you, that's okay. So I just, it was those things that really, you know, came into my mind and, and, I started focusing on that. And then I thought, okay, how am I going to heal? First, I got to, you know, counsel myself, learn about mental health, learn about counseling. So it was like an education session for me. So COVID, I used to educate myself. That's and fantastic. Is my traumas um, and try and turn my pain into power. And then I started podcasting and doing live streams on mental health. And then I kept waking up to more things that were happening in my community, like domestic violence and um, how it's linked to intergenerational trauma. And so after all that, all these epiphanies, I was having one after another, after another for a good year, 
that's how I got to where I am right now. It, it was just, it was mind blowing, like literally mind blown. It would <laughs> be. And one thing that I wanted to touch on that you just mentioned then, I love that you laugh about everything, which is really cute, but well, cause you've gone through a lot and the fact that you're at a spot where you are now is pretty amazing. But one thing I want to touch on is you mentioned that, um, within healing from trauma, you don't always have to forgive. And I think that's a really powerful thing as well, because I think a lot of people think that this person's done so much wrong by me, whether it's in a relationship, so say a narcissistic relationship or a damaging relationship, and they think that they need to get to the point where they can forgive the person before they can start to heal. And you're, you're basically saying, and I've heard it from other people, you don't have to get to that point. You don't have to forgive the person. If someone's done something so wrong by you, that it's really shaped your life or caused a lot of trauma you don't have to necessarily forgive before you can move forwards how did you how do you move forwards without forgiving is there a secret to it <laughs> um i think i learned to accept that there are things i'm never going to achieve that i want yep. you know i'm not going to get what i want um from him Yes. Yeah. And I'm not go. I, I'm not going to receive what I wanted. So I had to get my ego in check. So when when we, I had to put a ceiling over my desires. I had to detach from my desires. So my desire was, I wanted closure. I'm not going to get that. You know, I tried. I failed. Okay. Yep. That's all right. <laughs> I I wanted um I wanted his love. I'm not going to get that. I wanted um I wanted him to feel my pain. I couldn't make that happen. Yeah. Um, there were so many things I had to, I had to detach from my attachments of what I wanted and, and put my ego away and be like, all right, I can't have everything I want in life. And that's okay because I still am here and I'm still doing what I want to do anyway, just without him. Um, forgiveness. Have you heard of a term called spiritual bypass? No. Tell so, me about it. <laughs> <laughs> so pretty much spiritual bypass is pretty much using spiritual ideas or practices or, you know, think, especially like things like in Buddhism um, and, and you're using spirituality to bypass your emotions, to bypassing, dealing with your emotions, to get to the side of forgiveness. And I think a lot of people, they, they don't actually process their emotions enough and they just want to believe they're forgiven because A, it makes them, they, they feel like they've done something really great and it's good for them or B, they feel really holy after doing it. Yeah. But really, it's just it's just spiritually bypassing what has happened. So you're, you're bypassing healing, you're bypassing um, confronting your emotions, you're, you're bypassing dealing with the pain and just being like, no, nah, no, nah, I'm over it. I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I forgive. And yeah. I just couldn't do that. I was like, you know what? Me not forgiving him, that that that's my power. I don't have to forgive him because in my head, and a lot of people is, is are probably gonna think I'm wrong here, but I don't care. In that my head, does I, there's no such thing as wrong. That's what I think. <laughs> in my head, I feel like if I forgive him, then it means what he did was okay. And yeah. I don't agree with what he did, and I don't have to forgive him, and and that's where my power is at. And and, yeah. and, and forgiveness is nothing to me. It doesn't mean I don't know how to forgive. I've forgiven a lot of people. But I'm holding him accountable for his actions and I don't have to forgive him. And by not forgiving him, I've held him accountable. That's how isn't I feel it, about it. And isn't it I amazing? I, I think it's amazing. Sorry, finish what you're going to say. You don't. 
that's it. That's all I had. <laughs> ah. <laughs> sorry. Isn't it amazing? I hate there's a little delay in this and it always drives me crazy. So I'm sorry that I speak over the top of you because I love hearing what you got to say. Um, I think that one thing that I've realized, so I, my dad um, was quite abusive towards my mum, and I was lucky enough that when he was in his late 60s, um, I was able to stand in front of him outside in his backyard at a barbecue and say, what you did was so wrong. And I'll never forget it. It's part of my childhood memories. But I want you to know that I've seen how you've treated my mum in the last 10 to 15 years. I see that you're a good person. You've always been there for us every, you know, every opportunity you can. You try and help us kids. And I forgive you for what happened. So I got to forgive my dad. And that was a big thing for me to move forward. Even though I still hadn't healed my trauma, I, I got the forgiveness thing done. What you're saying here is actually really, really powerful because there's other things in my life where I haven't got that opportunity, where things are shit and I can't forgive the person for doing what they're doing or what's happened in the past because, number one, I can't necessarily talk to the person. Number mm -hmm. two, I don't actually forgive them for what they've done because I think it's a bad thing. And for me to say oh, I just forgive them would be blowing hot air it would be a lie it would be lying to myself and how would that help my my trauma how would that help me heal so what you're saying the power of maybe in a certain context not forgiving someone but understanding that it's not your own fault I guess and, and that you can move forwards is a really amazing thing I think you just said something that gave me a massive light bulb moment so I have to thank <laughs> I have to thank you for that. And I think that there's going to be listeners out there that are in the same situation, whether it's um, I'm even looking at, you know, the pandemic type stuff where Dan Andrews locked people down and they couldn't do this and they couldn't do that. And they basically want an admission of guilt on TV or they wanted to stand up and say, I'm so sorry that I did the wrong thing by everyone or Gladys to get up and say, I, I shouldn't have locked you all down, but that's not going to happen. So no. people need to move forwards without forgiveness or without an apology and, you know, it, the fact that you've done that and you're empowered and you're strong and you're moving forwards in your life is a really, really great thing to hear. Um, what's next on your journey? Where what, where are you now at? What what level would you say you're at? I don't know, not out of one to 10, because I hate that. But like, where are you <laughs> sitting? Where are you sitting in your life right now with your journey? Um, geez. I love asking question. the hard questions. Yeah. <laughs> the hard question. I... I want to keep doing what I'm doing, but I also want to learn more. You never yep. stop learning because I feel like people come to you in your life um, and they're all your teachers. So if you see everybody as a teacher, you always continue to learn. So yep. if you see everything as an opportunity rather than a failure, then you're con continuing to learn. So that's what I want to do. Um, obviously, continue to make music, help people get on podcasts and re reach reach people, I guess. That has... I guess it's whatever I started doing, I just want to continue doing that. It brings me joy to validate people's emotions. And um, and just on that, not, um, not uh, getting an apology or not receiving closure, yeah. um, sometimes it's like, you know, I think to myself, if my dad had apologized to me for whatever he did, would it have made a difference? And it absolutely not. It, it would have not made any difference to me. And I think that's why I was able to get over not getting the apology I wanted from him because I went to him for it. I didn't get it. And honestly, it zero difference was it going to make, even if he said, said sorry 
or not because the damage was done. And I think that's why I detached from the idea that I needed one because yeah. it wasn't going to help me. And, and it would have just been a fake apology. Um, a person who genuinely apologizes, they they change in their actions and, and you know they're genuine and won't do it again. But it, the damage is done and you, you can always hold a person accountable. They are yeah. accountable for what they did, you know, regardless yeah. of the apology. And I think that's why I, I'm just like, I don't care. I, I think practicing detachment from our desires, um, physical, material, that's what really helps us in life, yeah. detaching from these things. But when we attach ourselves to everything that we want, that's when we get so disappointed. I want this. I want that. So when you think to yourself, oh, you know, life's a bitch and then this is what I'm going to get. And if I don't get what I want, it's okay. When you drill it into yourself that you're going to be okay regardless, that's what I think when you're able to sort of move forward. Yeah. I think that's a really good way to, to sum it up. I think that um, there's so many different examples that that come back to what you've been saying, you know, from relationships, you know, so all of us have been in a relationship where we've been with someone who's lied to us or cheated or, yeah. or not been exactly what we thought they were going to be. And do we sit there and wait for the, the, them to suddenly say, I'm sorry, I was an asshole, I was a jerk. Many of them are not going to do that. And if you wait for that or you think that you need to give forgiveness for what they've done, you know, sometimes someone's just an asshole and you don't need to yeah. forgive them. You just need to think, well, that person was an asshole and, and I went down the wrong path and, and I'm going to be a better person without waiting for them to apologize, without having to forgive them. I just need to move forwards. And, you know, while yours is a much bigger situation and a much bigger topic, you know, because, you know, we think that our mum and dad are, are precious and that they're, they're, well, not just we think, but they are to us. So it does shape your life in a lot of ways, what happens to you when you're young and, and the different traumas that come. And I, I think one thing you touched on that I think is really quite extraordinary that we all should think about is we never know what someone else is living. We, we, we can't be in someone else's shoes. So we don't know what they've gone through. And, and you know, by the time you hit 35, or even 25, 25, 30, 40, you've had so many different things come up in your life that when you talk to someone or when you see someone walking down the street, you, you've got to think in your head, this person's got a story to tell. This person's lived a life. I, I can't judge them just on face value anymore because they've gone through so yeah. much. Yeah. And I think sometimes we feel like we have to let go and we have to move on from pain and trauma so that we can be free. But I think subconsciously we choose not to let go of what we think is pain because it's actually the source of our power and our purpose yep. and our passion. So like your pain and your trauma, it can be a source of your, of your pleasure and, and, and your motivation and I think that's why I never really let go of what my dad did and I'm not able to. And I think, and, and I'm, and, and I'm okay with that because I, that's my driving force. So yeah. we don't always have to just let go of everything. You can use it to your advantage to yeah. help people yeah. do and something. I, yeah, exactly. I definitely, I, I think the idea of empowering yourself through the pain or through that trauma is, is pretty special as well. And, and you've just got to make sure that you you pick the parts that are hurting you. If there's, if there's bits of your trauma that are hurting your soul, you need to deal with those. And I think, you know, each person's going to be slightly different in the way they deal with it. And I, I think that's why it's great having you on. I think that you, you just put it out there. You're very open and very honest. And I think that, you know, I tend to try to be that way as well. So everyone gets to hear the good and the bad and, <laughs> You know, it, it means that people can resonate with you. So I just wanted to say thanks again, Shalina, for coming on. I'm just going to give you a little pitch again. So it's SED8 sedate underscore yep. on yep. Instagram. Can they find you anywhere else? It's mainly Instagram that you've got your, are you on 
Facebook as well, I think, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> I'm on Facebook um, as just Shalina Lodia. You can find me there as well. Yeah. Um, where else am I? Oh, yeah, YouTube as Sedate. <laughs> um, I forgot where I am. Where am You're I? You're everywhere. She's everywhere. <laughs> just just Google. Google Shalina. TikTok. <laughs> I'm on all of them. Um, MySpace. <laughs> just Google Shalina um lodia which is l-o-d-h-i-a but yeah s-e-d-8 underscore is the instagram profile shalina thanks for coming on again i hopefully can get you back for a couple more weeks at least um because i do enjoy the chat and i think it really helps everyone out there oh thank you so much i enjoy coming on and talking it's therapeutic for me too <laughs> awesome okay i'll let you get on with your night thanks heaps and i'll talk to you again soon okay thank you so much bye bye so we're just going to go through our mindful moment. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Shalina. She's always a bright spark, and it's really good to hear about people's personal journeys. So the mindful moment tonight is brought to us by Tani from therestoremethod.com, Catalyst Body Works on Instagram and on Facebook. So did you know people form up to 90% of their opinions about you in under four minutes, and 60 to 80% of the impact you'll make on them will be nonverbal. For tonight's moment for moment, I'd like to share some body language tips to not only support you in a better nonverbal, being a better nonverbal communicator, but to read the messages others may be sending with their bodies. The most important thing to remember with interpreting nonverbal cues is you have to put it into context. Just because someone rubs their nose while telling you a story doesn't automatically mean they're lying. Body language is like a jigsaw puzzle where you have to look at the entire picture before making an assessment. Grouping of the separate body language cues is called understanding clusters. So when you're looking at the following cues, make sure you read it as a whole picture before making up your mind. So let's focus on the head and eyes. Chin up, head high. Holding the head high while talking gives an air of superiority in the eyes of the people being addressed. Holding the chin up can signify arrogance and defying orders. Children often do this when they feel they are wrongly accused. Tilted head. Head tilted to a side signals trust. It means the person likes what you're saying to them and believes your words. However, someone tilting their head while resting it on their hand can give an exactly opposite idea, like boredom. Touching the face. Studies show that when someone is concealing information or lying, their nose and face touching increases dramatically due, an increase, due to an increase in blood pressure when lying. Even if you have an itchy nose, people who don't know you may think you're lying. So keep your hands away from your face or at least tell them you have an itch. Eyebrows. Eyebrows are most likely to rise when you are surprised, worried, or afraid. When you're having a friendly chat, try lifting your eyebrows. It's a challenge. If a conversation partner raises their eyebrows when discussing something that shouldn't logically surprise, concern, or frighten them, something else is going on. A helpful tip to make someone feel at home for the first time, lift your eyebrows for a second to indicate excitement. Rubbing your eyes. People rubbing their eyes are either tired, sleepy, or in disbelief of what you're saying to them. It can also signal frustration and irritation, embarrassment, or even disgust. These people are actually trying to subtly cover their eyes because they're thinking, I don't like what I'm seeing. Eyes looking left. Eyes looking left activates the memory. Looking to the left and down while talking signifies the speaker is either re recollecting facts or lying. Looking left and straight means the speaker is having a self-conversation before re-engaging in a debate over conversation. Eyes looking right activates imagination. Looking to the right and down while speaking can signify self-doubt. 
whereas looking right and straight up can signify lying. Glancing. Oh, sorry, I said lying for looking left. No, I was reading the next part. When you're looking left, uh, it means the speaker is having a self-conversation before re-engaging. When you look right and straight up, it can signify lying. Wow, I didn't know that. Be careful where you look. Glancing. Well, looking sideways means either hearing certain sounds or interest in imagining a story. Many children have this look in their eyes when they are asked to write an on an imaginary situation. Australia is home to one of the world's most well-known experts on body language. Alan Peace lives on the Sunshine Coast in Queensland. He's written several books on the subject. So if you want to know more about body language, check him out. Alan Pease, P-E-A-S-E. I'll leave you with this. Your nervous system is designed to pick up on non-verbal cues as a way to socially connect or feel safe. If you don't get adequate cues of safety, your body will respond with fight, flight, or freeze in varying degrees. Our mammalian brain will respond within seconds in its decision if someone is safe, and most of the information we gather from the muscles around the eyes of the other person. Even though some people have managed to learn the tricks and tools of body language, our intuitive ability to neurocept whether someone is safe, despite their ability to use body language to hide their true intentions or feelings towards you, must never be ignored. So trust your feelings. Always trust, oh, that's what Tani said, always trust your gut instinct. When in doubt, go back to their eyes. Genu genuine social connection and safety is revealed in the glint of the eye and the creases or little wrinkles that remain actively engaged around the eyes despite the person not looking at you any longer. People who make initial eye contact but leave you wondering about their intentions will usually start to avoid eye contact after a while and or reveal a flat or expressionless muscle tone around their eyes when they look away. Eyes definitely are the windows to the soul. So when in doubt about anyone, watch their eyes closely, especially when they look away. There you go. Some really great advice there from Tani. Um, ho hopefully it makes sense. Hopefully I didn't make too much of a mess of it. Basically, if someone's looking right and up, that's where they're lying. So look out for that. Um, I hope you guys have a really great night. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. I hope you love today's interview. And uh, please give me as much feedback as possible and share this out to as many as you can. Thanks, guys. Have a great night. Peace. 